0: Welcome, welcome to Know Your Roles. Another week, back again. Thank you guys for tuning in, listening.
1: Shout out all the listeners.
0: Yes, everybody who has been listening in the states and abroad. George, I haven't really told you, but we—it's hard to kind of pinpoint, but we do have some international listeners. So that I—that's super cool to me. Yeah,
1: um, shout out to the international folks.
0: Yeah, Canada. There's some in yeah, yeah. Belgium and singapore i think which is Ooh. fucking crazy someone li- listening to singapore we love you like it's so that's so cool
1: these places just in case we need to leave america when the election rolls around which we're gonna be looking for y'all and maybe we can bunk there or like you can just kind of give us a tour or whatever don't yeah, we'll, looking at you
0: yeah start like <laughs> setting up like a quarantine room like a couch somewhere exactly. where... <laughs> 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 um but uh no sincerely everybody who's been listening thank you if you're spreading it out there if you can rate and review and and subscribe to us on iTunes and and hopefully we're going to be getting all that stuff more together we've been kind of doing a little bit more social media stuff we're going to continue to do that hopefully we'll have a website we'll have somewhere where you can actually email us and we can you know incorporate that into into the show as well but again thank you to everyone who's listening i think we have a really good show on hand today we are talking with our second guest and george you want to talk about him a little bit
1: yeah we uh, we had my old buddy uh, Joel joe a comedian who i've been friends with for 10 years and uh detroit native usc grad but professional gambler too so we talked about gambling and the betting network that he works for and the bad beats we get we actually ran the gamut of a lot of cool stuff that we had to talk about it's a lot of interesting things for folks and uh, uh if you have a gambling problem this may not be the podcast that you want to listen to <laughs>
0: that's true but he, uh, you he's know so he's,
1: he's, he's very so
0: interesting listen. and it's very interesting uh you know to talk about it with him at, and, and how these guys who do this like essentially for a living how they approach how they approach it and also he's really interesting he's got a ton of podcasts he's very funny the props network is yeah, shot the Props network Yeah, and uh, we're going to be, you know, we'll talk about that through with the interview with him and and afterwards as well, but we're going to be talking about that Detroit Pistons team of the early 2000s, and we're going to be talking about Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, which I think for all three of us is one of, I mean, two of our favorite shows probably ever. I mean, for me, definitely.
1: You you know, so like leading up to doing the doing my uh prep work for tonight's episode i banged out a couple episodes of breaking bad
0: which um, ones did you watch
1: i watched the episode where hank finds out that uh who walter white is because he's like and i would just i love tv and i love find, when like characters realize something oh man like something you've known the
0: whole time and, and we were waiting for that shit forever I'm and like, like right and you knew and like it still wasn't it still wasn't like, oh my God, how hasn't he figured it out? It's like, you know, he is going to figure it out and yeah. you understand why he hasn't figured it out. Cause right. he's so, even though he's such a good investigator, he's so blinded cause he yeah. has these preconceived notions of things that, you know, he had to break down. Like, yeah, yeah. Fucking yeah, awesome.
1: Shout guy. out to that actor. Was it Ed Norris? Is that no, no, uh, Norris. Dean Norris. Dean Norris.
0: Ed Norris is the wait,
1: actor. wait. Breakback. It's Dean Norris
0: yeah what's Andy his North name North hank yeah
1: dean of course, it's the wire we're both reading that <laughs> uh, yeah
0: oh i'm almost done with all the pieces matter it it's a it's i talk i've talked cool. about it so many times <laughs> um, we, just
1: crossed, we just reached across the aisle and cross-referenced a bunch of tv shows just right there <laughs> i know
0: and then you just made a joe buck reference um uh yeah it's funny i was thinking about like what i w- wanted to talk about today and it's like You know, I just want to talk about everything we've already talked about, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, so we're going to be talking about breaking bad, better call Saul and those piston teams and all things gambling with Joel Wachowski that's coming up. I think hopefully you guys will enjoy that. We had a, we had a really good time talking to him and George, what's, uh, what's on your bar.
1: You know, I was thinking of like, uh, the amount of football that I watched this weekend, but there's not really a bunch of uh, the Alabama Georgia game. I guess I'm going to watch, but I'm also going to be like cautious because it's going to be weird if nick saban is going to be on the sideline so that's what i'm like i'm i'm excited to watch number two versus number three They every year this like the game of the of the year this is probably not gonna be the game of the year because they'll eventually probably play each other later on this season which will probably be the game of the year but i'm actually kind of watching it just to see if nick saban is going to come out because if he
0: does we're all going to die <laughs> <laughs> it's also like a fucking disaster and travesty like that they're even speaking about playing this fucking college football game and like the propping up of people like Nick Saban like super bizarre. I, I kind of feel this I've mentioned it a little bit before but uh I feel this way about college coaches a lot that they're not uh like genius uh tacticians or anything. They just they are faces. They know how to deal with big money people. They know how to recruit. They know what players want to hear. You know what I mean? It's a it's a sick is Nick Saban a good football coach? Yeah. Could he coach an NFL team to a Super Bowl?
1: Uh, if given the talent – well, I mean, I told you it was like the sliding doors moment that the uh that the Dolphins had.
0: Yeah, the where they almost had uh. Drew he Brees was, he or... wanted
1: Drew Brees, but he also was a, it. He's like Joel even mentioned is like he mentioned it like very subtly about the fan bases in Miami and fan bases in East Lansing, because uh he was the Michigan State coach and he was the Dolphins coach. And he fucking left out of town.
0: And they hate him. <laughs> it's like the places that you coach for and you coach, I mean, Miami, no, but uh, Michigan state, like he coached good teams. He they did, were yeah. good. And people, that, they were, good.
1: they were better when he was there. But like, so he's like, I guess the, one of the things I didn't mention to him that I, I should have mentioned that like uh, when he said Georgia, the Georgia game, I was like, oh, I was like, well, you know, historically, so he's 20 and O against team, like against coaches that have coached under him. And not only does he beat them, he beats them like senseless. That's the reason why that line kept going down was because like uh, well, he's not going to be there. This might be the game that Kirby gets off of him, or this might be the game that like an assistant coach gets off of him because like historically, I'm sorry, he's 21 and 0 against anybody who is, who has been on his staff that went to coach another team. Yeah. he goes, he was like, he's like, you want to leave? I will kill that's you.
0: <laughs> I would, I would like, want to be like, like I nurtured you. Or I want you to be great. I would just let them win. They're nah, <laughs> like, nah. like, look at all the guys I coached. They're great. <laughs>
1: 21 and 0.
0: That's insane. I mean, that's like, <laughs> so it also fits in with my own personal narrative of him being like a vindictive, like piece of shit.
1: <laughs> he probably um, is. He's like, uh, Oh, you want to leave like that? Yeah. What? Yeah. you going to date somebody else?
0: So, I'm gonna embarrass you.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna embarrass you. So I, I guess there's a part of me that's looking forward to the game. The uh, it's funny like all these stats are coming out of my head. Steve Sarkeesian, who is the offensive coordinator, is actually 13 and five as a starting head coach. So there's enough there. I maybe text Joel. I was like, "You might want to hold off on that, Georgia." Bill. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that, which is at 7:30. All the good games are Saturday night. So anyway, what's in your bar?
0: Last week I talked about Mini Hassan and his podcast on the Intercept called deconstructed. Uh, I just wanted to mention that that is still going on. Ryan Grimm hosts it now. He is the Intercept's DC bureau chief. He's very awesome investigative reporter. I think it's still something to look into. I I like that we talked about heroes last week, and I kind of wanted to keep a little bit about that, that going. I also wanted to mention the Intercept also has Intercepted podcast with Jeremy Scahill, which is in general just really amazing that i love but they've also done a really cool series um about american mythology about uh the trump era and about how how we got here and you know just providing all these historical contexts and a lot of really great voices around that including kanga yamada taylor eddie gloud uh, nick estes those are all scholars and and people of color and if you don't know those names i highly recommend looking up those names but what I really want to talk about is something I just uh a band I just learned about that is awesome. That George, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're relatively new. Uh they're called, and it's more of a collective. They're called the Resistance Revival Chorus. Good you heard of them? Yes. Thing, yeah. uh, and what they are, first of all, they're on Righteous Babe Records, which, if you want to talk about heroes, uh for just a second, Righteous Babe Records is the record company of Ani DeFranco, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who for many people, is a, is a hero in many ways. First of all, that she never released a record that wasn't on her own. Like she she made her own label from the very beginning, and she only released stuff on her own label. She never played that fucking mass, which is awesome. But Resistance Revival Chorus—they just released an album. They just released the vinyl. I just pre-ordered it actually. They're really interesting. I want to just quickly read like their their little uh bio. But Resistance Revival Chorus is a collective of more than 70 women and non-binary singers who join together to breathe joy and song into the resistance and to uplift and center women's voices, especially the voices of Black women and women of color. Members are touring musicians, film and television actors, Broadway performers, solo recording artists, gospel singers, political activists, educators, filmmakers, artists, and more, representing a multitude of identities, professions, creative backgrounds, activist cause. These are people that have... Been very active in activism as far as New York City streets, and it was a, a a group that actually formed out of the 2017 Women's March. And like I said, their 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 mo is to center women's voices and, and non-binary voices and and people of color. And their their music is awesome. Uh, they, the it got me because the first song that I heard by them is called. All You Fascists Bound to Lose. <laughs> so I, I really appreciated that. But they're really cool, regardless of how cool it is that they exist, this collective of 70 artists and coming together under this, you know, similar, this uh, united uh, artistic expression. But also the, the music is really cool. Uh, the, that song, the fashion uh, Rhiannon Giddens is on it, on that song. And the styles kind of change. All the songs that I listen to, I only listen to a few, which is cool. I like I like that I like I'm excited that I bought the record without hearing a lot of it. So I'm like excited to like unbox it and listen to it for the first time. The songs that I did hear, they're all fucking awesome. The lyrically, musically, really cool. Yeah. Resistance revival chorus. Cool, cool shit.
1: Yeah, I'll yeah. give that a sniff later. I'm uh was just listening to uh Benny the Butcher had a new record came out today.
0: Somebody sent me that That like a clip and was like just with like a million fire emojis. <laughs> it's, it's good. Shout out, my, shout out to my buddy Jeff in Seattle, who's was like, oh shit.
1: It's like, uh, I, I'm I'm all in for a uh, a record that's like under 40 minutes. And it was like, this is pretty good. Yeah, so I was listening to that. I see my buddy who's from Buffalo, who, lo- who loves West Side Gun. But like, uh, uh I, I I enjoyed what I listened to this morning.
0: West Side Gun's pretty dope.
1: They're good, they're good. They. I, I feel like they maybe put out too many records. Can you do that as an artist? Yes. too much content
0: that was uh yeah that that was a like a little wayne invention you or i i don't want to put it uh, all on him and i like a lot of little wayne but but just like a late 90s early 2000s of every fucking six months put out a record because and like that was the expectation and then like you know a frank ocean who constantly move stuff back and it takes them four years to put out a record. Everybody's like, what the fuck? My, myself included. It was like, I want that new Frank Ocean record. Yeah, but at yeah. the same time, it's like, yo, this shit takes, I mean, as, especially you and I know this, people who write or do artistic endeavors, you can't predict, you know, it takes as long as it takes. Sometimes you can get through something and some people work differently and, you know, right. but, but to be, but also the reason why they, they're putting out, if you're putting out uh, an album of 20 tracks every six months I am personally going to say that a lot of that is going to be garbage. <laughs> yeah, good. You just can't re- I mean, it's just, it's hard to do that.
1: Right. Yeah. His, his new work is, I think 12 tracks, 38 minutes. So that's in that order, which is the, the perfect time frame for yeah. me.
0: All right. Thank you very much to Joel, Joel Wachowski, the professional gambler.
2: Cool. Cool. You how, How's my audio coming through? Is it coming through here? All right.
0: Yeah. Loud and clear. Cool. Cool.
2: That's sick. Cool. What's up, George? What's up, David? Hey, What's going George? on, dude? I, I would expect the Boogie Nights poster to be the central one in, in frame, you know?
1: Well, you know, there's quite a few of them in this apartment. So I just, for some reason, Boogie Nights just ended on that far wall. There's the jaws on the other side, so.
2: I, and, uh, you know, my compliments on this look, you've really actualized so well. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you look like a fucking Civil War general.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm going for. You know, it's like, uh, you know, the real look that I'm going for is like... um coked out pitcher for the Oakland A's.
2: Oh, sure.
1: With the the Afro coming out of the sides, Uh, Doc Ellis. But not him because like I was only good for like two seasons. And then I was, I succumbed (laughs) to my Coke addiction. That's the reason why it's so uneven. But I had like, I had like two solid seasons. I had like, my nickname is like Oil Can. Jordan, Oil 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 Can. can
0: Oil Can Boyd. That's yeah, exactly. They still love that fucking guy in Boston. Right. <laughs> and he was still he he
2: got such a pass. Buckner, you know, was terrible. Made that error in Game Six, Game Seven of the '86 series. Oil can got shelled. He, got shelled. <laughs> he lost three games in that series. No one says a peep about him because he's got a fucking cute ass nickname.
0: Yeah, well, they that's a common occurrence, right? Like we were talking about the Cubs collapse in two thousand three. Everybody blames Steve Bartman and shit, and they had a two-game lead with Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood going yeah. in the next two games and everybody made mistakes. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Well, I that... mean,
1: there was the error at shortstop Gonzalez who yeah, I he, think only had three all season.
0: He let it go right through his legs.
1: Yeah, and then there was like a... First off, I think in game seven they probably left... Did they leave Kerry Wood in there too long?
0: Yes, and he, the whole... I mean, the, the yeah, they they ruined both of those guys' arms.
1: Well, I mean, the thing about them was like they were all arm-heavy. They didn't... None of them used their legs. Yeah. So there's that's if they were... They were throwing out of
0: sand. Yeah, they were trying to throw it through the catcher's mitt. Yeah, Yeah, that
2: that was a team that changed the way pitchers are developed, too. Like, they did such a bad job with those guys. No pitch – like, Strasburg didn't play, like, his first two years at all. Like, they pulled him out of, like, meaningful baseball games – because they did such a shitty job with those two
0: that's true mark Pryor is like the poster boy for you know pitching gone wrong
2: i went to sc he's got the baseball field named after him there yeah. that's insane
0: yeah well he was one of those guys i remember when the cubs drafted him that it was like well this guy's clearly going to be a hall of famer you know already as soon as he's as soon as he put on the uniform or like this guy is he was anointed
2: yeah absolutely are you a cubs guy
0: uh I I am I uh I'm like one of those weird anomalies who I'm from Chicago and I grew up really close to Wrigley Field. So it's kind of like in my bones, but I'm also like, uh, I, I identify with the white Sox as well. Cause like, they just get shit on for no reason because they're on the other side of town and they don't, you know, nobody cares about their games because they don't play in like the heart of fucking white America, Chicago. Um, yeah,
2: like the, the Wrigleyville experience apologies to you growing up. there. like, it's, it's a little on the
0: nose. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, well, the thing is when I was a kid, it didn't have, have quite that it's still definitely you know the city is very segregated there's no way around that it is but it was much more approachable now it's like a fucking theme park they've totally paved over that whole area where there was a bunch of stuff there and now it's just like everything owned by the team essentially you know it's like their own neighborhood now (laughs) it's ridiculous it used to be just like it was cool because it was a ballpark in the middle of the city and you just i would literally just go walk there as a kid and go to a game you can't really do that anymore so no. you can't can't afford to live in that area anymore. Anyway, <laughs> that's
1: what I was thinking. Like, yeah. who the fuck
0: lives there now? Yeah, no, only fucking ridiculously wealthy people. It's,
1: it's Cameron's parents.
0: They live in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Well, you can walk by Theo Epstein's house on the way to the game. Like that's what I did last time I, w- I was in town. Nice. <laughs> Damn, I just I just googled 2004 Pistons and it has their regular season scores up, and I see a 78-68. Sixty-six, eighty-five. Really, the beautiful game right here.
1: Oh no! I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get into that because, like, uh, as you know, I'm a watching fan, and uh, Dave is a Bulls fan, but the two of us actually have a lot of respect for those those Pistons teams of that era. We're gonna, we're definitely gonna get into that. We're gonna talk a great deal about those guys. I was looking at some of the things that happened. Was doing my my research there. First off, they had two, uh, I think was it six straight Eastern Conference Finals with three different coaches.
2: Sixth straight, three different coaches. But one of those is unfair because like Carlisle was just fired because he was so bad with interpersonal skills. Like okay. the ladies in the office, the secretaries, the people who parked the cars, every employee for the team outside of the players hated that dude. And like the chemistry in the franchise was going to be very bad. So they just, that was a preemptive measure. And then you know Larry Brown's not sticking around too long.
1: Oh no, no. no anywhere. No, no. That's no. not how he gets down.
2: No. No, like, not he, at all. He passes through. I'm surprised he's not coaching in Greece or something these days. That that dude's going to be holding a clipboard till his deathbed.
0: He did coach overseas, did he not? Yeah. He's he did. yeah, he's and he's like 80 fucking years old or something. Yeah, he's
1: uh it's yeah. his some of some of the things about him is is awesome. <laughs> some of the things yeah. he's done I'm like He's the only coach in the in the history of basketball to win a national championship and an NBA finals.
2: It's incredible. Brooklyn, that's incredible. Brooklyn legend.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is yeah. incredible. I guess hearing that, I, I want to be like, that can't be true. But I guess that's no, crazy.
1: He <laughs> went in with the uh, with the Kansas Jayhawks, Danny Manning, Danny and the Miracles. And if I remember correctly, the head coach was fired and he took over before the tournament started. And they won six straight games. and won an NCAA tournament. Wow. as was like a nine seed, which is
2: insane. I think um, I'm, I might not be right on this. I think he won an ABA title, too, with one of those. Nugget oh,
1: rounds. you know, I think he, I think you're right. I think I he think did. Like
2: right. I crazy. three, I give I'm, sign me up for all those, you know, competitive sports. This the competitors, the fledgling upstarts. I like those guys. And like back in the day, they used to be competitors. Now you see the XFL. I think their bankruptcy is like. A Madoff level financial crime. <laughs>
0: I, I think everything that Vince McMahon does is like a shell game Ponzi scheme. Yeah,
2: like they got, like they declared bankruptcy, not because they couldn't pay, they just didn't want to pay those coaches. So, like,
0: <laughs> oh my God. yeah, he is like overtly like a, a piece of shit. <laughs> He's he's
2: awful. He he screwed over every stadium that gave him a lease. He screwed up again. those coaches. They worked for him for a long time. Like it was all about this league's about quarterback development. We're going to have the coach in Washington working with Cardale Jones and then first sign of trouble. Oh, we're insolvent. We you don't get what we have coming to you. Yeah, just criminal.
1: Yeah. So, Joel, we're, we're, we're super excited about having you on our Know uh, Your Roles, and we're going to get into our little little game. But we're going to we're gonna talk to you about what's... So, I guess I haven't seen you in almost a year. So, what's been like going on with, during COVID? What have you been up to? Tell us about the Props Network, man.
2: Okay. So, my deal here, I've been working with a lot of good gambling content people. We had a show sold written, ready to go for March Madness. I was going to bet every NCAA game in the tournament, you know, and there's crazy times trying to keep up with it for the first two rounds. It was going to be a fun, hectic ordeal, but you know how shit should happen. Yeah. So during quarantine, my girl's parents, they were moving. So I ha- I went out to Sedona, Arizona. I moved them from LA there. I'm a good box truck driver. <laughs> That's where I'm at. No one's better at smoking weed while driving a box truck than me. Yes, I tore down a a bit of their fence, but I don't think the weed was a factor there. Um, You know, I was just grinding on all this gambling stuff, like throughout making content, making a little like game show over Zoom. And then I come back and, you know, Props Network, they're just kind of positioned to be a new gambling content place. And they kind of have me set up to be a flagship for them. So I do a show called The Walk-On with Brian Allen Mitchell three times a week. We do like an hour and a half break and like... I got to get you on that. my new segment that I love. I want to do an in-depth breakdown of the worst NFL game every week. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, that sounds Kinda right been. up George's
1: alley. We were just talking before he came on. I was like, man, there's some really, really bad games this week.
2: And none worse than mine. Lions, Jaguars, baby. Whew. So, you know, you know, I've always been a betting man, but now I've just been absorbed into the gambling industry. So... <laughs> I, <laughs> I've got casino connections, I've got people paying me to talk sports. The fact that this is my job these days, I'm just head over heels happy with it.
1: I'm super stoked for you, man. Just like have your videos and Dave has watched a bunch of them this week. Your videos are incredible. They, I I look forward to them every weekend.
2: You know, I was gonna quit actually. I was like, you know what? This isn't gonna work out for me. So I'm, I got a scholarship to Michigan So I'm going to Michigan online, getting two master's degrees and working a full-time job. So I'm just destroyed right now. I'm up till 3 a.m. working. I talk gambling all day, every day. But you know what? There's a little heel upstart out of Houston that's getting me through these tough COVID times. I love this Astros team. Give me a wrestling heel.
1: Oh 100 percent so like I was one uh, in my prep work I was looking up uh Dave, you're going to test this too because I guess I don't remember every team that's gone that's come back from three nothing but it has happened I think it's happened five times four in the NHL and once in the, the in the MLB with the uh, Red Sox and Yankees. what chances do you think they have already been down three nothing and um, maybe- the last two.
2: It's about tonight. The pitching matchup does not favor them whatsoever. Tampa's got their number one on the mound, I would say. And if they win this, you know, baseball is a weird game. Like football, NBA, the best team always wins. That's never the case in baseball. That's why I dropped this sport. Like the Tigers were the best team for a decade. Didn't win. But now, you know, I just want the worst thing to happen in 2020. It would be so cathartic for everyone to be like, See the the Astros come back against an extremely re- likable Rays team. Those guys clearly love each other. They're cheering for each other. The fact that they got a walk-off, the fact that their fan base has just been spitting and piss and vinegar this entire MLB bubble run, I'm here for it. The odds are so bad right now, but I pray for an Astros-Dodgers World Series Astros sweep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as wrestling fans, of course, because I love the fact the Astros are willing to wear the black hat and it is the Dodgers are coming from underneath as a face. It makes great for, it's perfect television. It's wrestling. Yeah,
0: I mean, I like that. I, I don't really like that Astros team very much either, but but I like that it would make a lot of people mad. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like I mean, because who cares? And also it just shows like the MLB is such, I mean, they could have avoided all this. They could have just suspended those fucking players. You know what I mean? Instead of like making guys take the fall and, and like, we could have avoided all of this, but it is, it does. It is exciting to see how, how ridiculous it is. And you do kind of like, there is something that's like, I do hope that team makes it. And and like you said, sweet. So <laughs> yeah.
2: And I, I wish baseball were like, had the kind of national prominence it deserves. Like, I feel like it's kind of been like, soccer is coming for its heels in a little bit, but last night we have the Dodgers with the, the Astros with a walk off. Clayton Kershaw blowing a must-win game—that's the best it? baseball day of the year—and you know, <laughs> nobody's talking about it.
1: Did they keep him in there too long? Should he have come out when? Uh, when it was was it first and second in the fifth? Is that what it was?
2: Yeah, but if it's Kershaw in a playoff game, you want him to go at least five, and like they—they're blinded by him. They want him to have the his moment in the sun so badly, and it's just kind of like it's back to the Kerry Wood thing. It's back to. Fr- The Red Sox blowing it with leaving Pedro in too long in 2003. You want to ride your ace and these managers just, you know, baseball's random chance. So it's so easy to look like an asshole. That's the great part about that game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's so unpredictable, too, because, I mean, I feel like it's one of the sports the most where the best team doesn't win. You know, the best team almost never wins in baseball because so much random shit happens. And the way that the, the Dodgers built their team, I mean, they like they they're so inconsistent. I mean, they just scored 15 runs and then they couldn't, you know, Kershaw, he didn't play well. But had he pitched, you know, the day before, we'd all be talking about like Kershaw did what he needed to do to win the game. You know what I mean? And yeah. Baseball has
2: you have to have this like cognitive dissonance where it's like oh I watched this sport I know who's good and now like 10 years later oh I guess we have to talk about the Giants dynasty of the 2000s sure <laughs>
0: yeah yeah they won a lot
1: <laughs> yeah it was what was it even years or odd years that they won i think it was um, even years
2: it was it, it was it, even year they beat us in
0: yeah it was even years
2: yeah 2000. We lost to the Red Sox in 2013. The Cardinals in 2000. I think maybe 2010 was the year we lost to them.
0: Yeah, I think they did 2010, 12, and 14 because I remember because my uncle, who's a who's a Giants fan, he uh, he was like giving me shit when they played the Cubs because he was like, oh well, the Cubs definitely aren't going to win this year because it's an even year. (laughs) It's an even year.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Um, right. It's just. like it's it's cool like i I like gambling because you can do the analysis i got my excel spreadsheets broken down and i could do just as good if i just followed one hunch oh it's an even year that's all i need to know
0: well that's interesting because i I'm, i'm really curious to know like as somebody who i don't i never have really gambled professionally once or twice randomly um for things like boxing and shit like that. But like, I'll make, you know, bullshit bets with people in the bar, but your approach of betting the game and the action of the game or betting the line or or something else, like, can you just talk about that for a little bit? How you look at that as a professional gambler?
2: I think sometimes Vegas will tell you what's gonna happen with the lines. For instance, like two weeks ago, the Colts were playing the Bears. Colts are three and a half point road favorites. And if a team's a three and a half point road favorite, like three and a half is the number you look for. You see that number, you take it. They're like that's Vegas's way of telling you we can't really put the line much higher, but we we're pretty confident this team's gonna roll. You know, I I, I see that same line this weekend in yeah, the Steelers Browns game. Like yep. that would be the biggest win in Cleveland history. Like, legitimately, since the Browns came back, this would be the biggest win. So, of course, like, I'll look at the line, but I'll also look at the general story arc of watching sports for 30-some years. And no, there's no way in hell Cleveland's winning this game.
1: Yeah, off the top of your head, because uh, all the pundits are saying the Steelers are probably going to run away with that. I'm not, I've told Dave this a bunch of times, I've told a bunch of my friends, I'm not the biggest Baker Mayfield fan. In fact, I think his season has been kind of mediocre at best. Where do you see that game happening? Just like if you just guess what that final score is going to end up. I think Pittsburgh is going to be the dog shit out of them.
2: Yeah, I think uh, probably 27-17. And like we're talking about all this, but I think the Browns might have a COVID infection that they're covering up. Odell's been sick for days. There's a couple like big pieces on their defense that aren't going to play in this game. And meanwhile, if you were to look at every unit like defensive line, linebackers throughout the entire NFL, the Steelers defensive line is probably the best single unit.
1: Yeah, you got the Hayward kid, you got the Watt kid there. You know who, has, who hasn't played well is their divas of backfield. Maka Fitzpatrick has not played well this year.
2: Yeah, but how do you evaluate a safety? A safety is kind of like a pitcher, you know, you either do great. Or you get burned horribly. You, you get
0: lit up, yeah. Yeah, and those are the only plays that stick out. Right.
2: Yeah, being being a, a defensive back must be the worst job in sports right now. Every new rule oh makes your life harder. Yeah. You get embarrassed. And now, like, with Instagram highlights, you're just burned forever. Like, yeah. I think Jeff Okuda, who yeah. the Lions picked third overall. Who's dope. That was yeah. I that was
1: a great draft pick.
2: Yeah, but, like. By the grades, he's the worst player in the league. You have Kyler Murray putting him on. I didn't know NFL players could get posterized to the. <laughs> Kyler Murray him on one. It's like, oh boy, I don't know if he's ever coming back from this. It's a rough start
0: on what you kind of just said in that in that answer how do you like because everything is so crazy right now and you know because of every, to me i mean i've been saying this that i just think that everything in the world right now is a house of cards you know especially these professional sports seasons and like how do you approach that as a better are you just like plugged into the news so much that you're like oh there's a positive test in, in, over here you know what i mean and that's going to influence the line or how is that how is that like how are you seeing that play out in real time i, I
2: think quite the opposite actually I think it's helpful to remove yourself a little bit because there's there's so many twists and turns and you're better off if you're going to place a wager just check in Sunday morning see what the lines are then like do not put any money down more than an hour out from kickoff this season and like that's probably a good general rule so I think maybe COVID is helping me get some good habits you know, now I do Pilates videos on YouTube, and now I bet right before the game. This has changed, and it's helped me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, good to know there's some positives out of it.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> positives, especially in the Patriots locker room from the hearings of it.
0: <laughs> oh, <goodness> <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> yeah, I so, saw your thing on Nick Saban the other day, how he's, uh, a su- he's his own super spreader. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a shame to see a national leader finally get infected with this disease. And um, they got to find a way for Saban to coach that game, right?
1: <laughs> well, I think, I think it's, so this is right now is like he's taking it. He's taking tests every day since I think he got, it was announced he had it on Wednesday. And since Wednesday, that line started out at six is now dropped to four and a half and still dropping. Not, not sure if he's going to coach that game or Steve Sarkeesian is going to coach. He's optimistic that he's going to coach. I think they're going to let him coach.
0: That's like, insane! <laughs> like from his own like hermetically sealed bubble. Like what the fuck?
2: Well, I mean, honestly, if anyone deserves a Pope Mobile in this country, it is Nick Saban,
0: <laughs> <laughs> because he's so hated. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, if they drive through East Lansing or, Mar- or Miami, he might, might need that bulletproof glass. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's an icon down there. I know Bama yeah. fans, and like he's a religious figure to them.
1: Yeah. Fact so that he's like, a, I mean, I don't know if he'll ever like surpass Bear Bryant as far as maybe for like the older generation. But if you're like under maybe thirty-five or under forty, and you're from Alabama and you're an Alabama person, Nick Saban is your dude. 6,000 yeah. championships.
2: Yeah, you those Heisman House commercials for Nissan during college football. I don't think I understand those Heisman commercials. I think they're kind of
1: dumb. I guess because there's just too much Baker Mayfield. I feel like for a dude who's just mediocre he's always on my goddamn time
0: yeah Brother he
1: Chris. is
2: yeah but he's a lucky guy because Cleveland's coach is awesome and like he doesn't have to do anything in that offense all he's got to do is roll out roll out create his passing lanes because he can't see over an offensive line like that's the mistake like I think Baker's good but that's a huge flaw to overcome and Breeze kind of overcame it against all odds like right for Breeze to have the career that he's had and continues to have, even though I hate him and they should probably start Jameis, is fascinating to me.
1: Breeze and Wilson are the outliers. That's because they're all three of these dudes are, are 5'11". But uh, Baker is basically roll out and hopes that, like Odell Beckham catch one of shitty passes. I think he's unwashable so, as a quarterback. Yeah, like, and I just don't think guys. he's.
0: I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I just don't think he's like anywhere near as liked as those other guys. You know, so like at a certain point, when are they going to be like, well, we're going to let this little five foot nine nothing dude get killed back there? You
2: know. <laughs> Yeah, the NFL just wants Cleveland to be good so bad year after year. It's the it's the football machine that's put Baker in this position. I don't fault him for taking the cash grab. And, like, finally he's in a position where he might succeed. But is it him or does he have two of the best 10 running backs? Does he have the best player in football potentially on his defensive line? I mean, the Browns, I think they're going to be successful when they're not playing the Ravens or Steelers. but. Yeah. It's I mean, not like, Baker.
1: They've got they've got a dude who's uh, if it wasn't for Aaron Donalds would probably win Defensive Player of the Year in Miles Garrett. They've got like one of the best possession wide receivers who not that long ago had over a hundred catches in Jarvis Landry, and that he threw the best pass I saw this year that left and it broke. No,
0: yeah, he's gonna have better numbers than Baker.
2: <laughs> he's got a perfect passer rating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you might see a team give up a couple firsts for him, you know indianapolis you saw it you have phil rivers back there make a move for old jarvis hey yeah.
0: the the bears don't have an answer at quarterback we haven't had one for 50 fucking years so
2: yeah but you're gonna go with 13 and 3 for some fucking reason <laughs> yeah, and, then,
0: and then get beat by 40 in the first round you know what it is Absolutely. like and then and then fuck ourselves out of a draft pick you know that's and like
2: i'm finally at peace with you guys like i'm a lions diehard i don't need to talk about it here like it's no, there's nothing good to come from it, but I I would always get so annoyed at these like seven and nine Bears teams that go twelve and four. And now it's just legitimately hilarious. Tr-
0: lot- Trust me, us Bears fans. Also, we're annoyed at those teams. <laughs> there are definitely people that sip the Kool Aid in Chicago, but there are a lot of people who are like. We know this team is not that good.
2: Yeah, I, I finally found out about Ditka and the Grabowski's this week. I mean, I don't know why that's not as big as the Super Bowl shuffle.
0: Yeah, I was telling George that your last name is vaguely Polish sounding and ends with a ski. So, to a Chicago person like me, that's like a there's a comfort level there. <laughs> it,
2: it, it's a secret handshake and. um I just got approved for an apartment in Greenpoint, didn't need to submit paperwork, just had to tell them my last name. Awesome.
1: <laughs> awesome. So, Joel, before we really get into it, I'm going to give you two minutes. To tell me how you would fix the Detroit Lions in that organization.
2: I think they actually have a lot of good pieces. now. I think it's actually a defensive scheme issue. There's limits on human physiology, and our head coach has no knowledge of them so we have we're the only team in the league we play man-to-man defense the entire game you're like oh why do we blow these leads why we blow these leads no one can hold up like that first quarterbacks pass 60 times if you're in the fourth quarter of a game and you've already covered 45 routes teams are going to take advantage of it and there's no adjustment they never send a blitz the entire honest is like on these guys to defend in the fourth quarter when it's scraping up against the limits of what a human body is capable of and on top of that teams have known every defensive signal going back to the start of the 2018 season they didn't change the signals under Caldwell they didn't change it from 18 to 19 and there's all these stories coming out it's like oh yeah the other team says they know we're running and like that, I get that story every four weeks. I'm going to have an aneurysm over it. I hate it.
0: <laughs> What's the justification? Why have they, you know, in this coaching carousel that we live in where everything is, they, you know, everybody's so quick to cut, especially in the NFL, why has Patricia been able to keep – I mean, this is his third year, right?
2: Yeah, and, like, I think sports, I think when you, when you really start to understand them, you, look, you take a big-picture look and you understand that it's kind of – how well a business is run. So look at the Carolina Panthers for example. They were recently purchased by David Teffen, a guy who pretty much reimagined how hedge funds work and used all these analytical tools to dominate Wall Street and he's sold all his holdings, he's putting all of his resources behind the Carolina Panthers and they want every edge conceivable. Meanwhile, we were We're just given to the failed child of the Ford family. And the Lions, a lot of times we get caught up with the curse of Bobby Lane. No, that's not the curse. The curse is, do you know what day the Ford family purchased the Detroit Lions? November 22nd, 1963. That's the day of the Kennedy assassination. So that happened. And the Ford family was like, no, no, we can just still go ahead with this purchase. That's going to have some bad karma for you guys.
0: Yeah, I would think so.
2: <laughs> Are you getting
1: into college football gambling? Because I saw yeah. it in my video. was like, so what games do you like this weekend?
0: I'm going to run some picks by
2: you, actually. Let me know your thoughts. I have four of them. Okay, go right um, ahead. I have Miami, bounce back, minus 13 and a half against Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, Pittsburgh is not. Pittsburgh was ranked uh, a couple weeks ago and has dropped two in a row, I believe.
2: Yeah, and Miami's a good team. They should just by being Miami be able to recruit better bodies than Pittsburgh. So I kind of like them for that.
1: Miami's quarterback is a is a grad transfer named Derek King from the University of Houston, and I got to see him play when I was because uh, I went to Memphis, as you know, as I always talk about. Uh, he's very good. He's very short, but he's very good. Yeah, I guess I I, I like that one. Go go keep going.
2: Um, Tennessee minus six against Kentucky. I, Tennessee played Georgia, who I think is the best team. Very well last week. They were just sloppy with the ball in the second half, but I saw them hanging. And if they're getting less than a touchdown against an SEC also ran. Right. Got to back them there. Okay. And uh, I like Mississippi against Arkansas. It's ba- minus one and a half. So it's basically a pick. It's basically a pick. Yeah. But Arkansas sucks. They won their SEC game earlier in this, the year. I think they're good.
1: Arkansas is terrible. And if you see Felipe Franks as your starter, he's a uh, grad transfer from Florida, bet against him all day long because he stinks. Mississippi is going to at least score some points. That might be entertaining for about a half.
2: Yeah, so I like those. And I think the best line of this weekend, even in light of how the line has moved because of current events, is the Georgia money line. Their Alabama's... Equal, there will be a mitigated home field advantage, and the fact that there's good value in that line, I think it's like plus 160 right now. Okay, I would probably just take Georgia to win. Wow, that's
1: uh, a lot of folks are liking that. One of my friends, she's like, she's all over that too. She's like, it's uh, for some reason, Alabama's defense, what they're calling card is just not good this year.
2: Yeah, I do like this, is like probably the most likable Alabama team though. Like, it's just like None of their stars on their running back, their quarterback, those guys aren't going to play in the NFL, I don't think. So they're just hanging around for their fifth years. And it seems like it means something to like, Mac and Najee Harris to actually play at Alabama so and you know what I think we already know what the final four will be right Clemson Georgia Alabama and then maybe Notre Dame pick your OSU Oklahoma State or Ohio State
1: one of those two I don't love the uh Oklahoma State offense I think Justin Fields is as good as uh nobody's as good as Trevor Lawrence nobody I I I think he's as good
0: What's the yeah. philosophy behind betting for, like, what if you were going to bet for, like, a whole season? Like, is there a way to bet, like, uh, you know, like you just said, the, what the final four of college football is going to be? Is there a way to do that at the beginning of the season? To Yeah, or- you,
2: you can do a futures, and um, you just bet who's going to win, who's going to get there. And there's generally good payouts, unless you're on, like, a very public team, like, say, the Cowboys or the Lakers, the odds are always juiced because they know, like, people passing through Vegas will just throw money on it because they like those teams. But like, in terms of a greater year, I like, I like the corrections, you know, like if a team looks bad one week, they're playing a team that looked good the previous week. You take the team that looked bad.
0: And how I I understand it, but not really well enough to explain it. Like if the line is 3.5, you're like in a football game, how exactly are you betting on those sides of the line? Can you explain that a little bit?
2: So a unit for me is $25. If I want to go big, I'll buy it to two and a half, get less of a win. But then like, I'll probably throw down like a hundred on it. That's the thinking there.
0: That makes sense.
2: And I, like, mon- I'll do a money line parlay, but those, they can be nice, but you'll get burned. Like everyone in the world was on the Chiefs over- against the Raiders last week. Vegas made so much money. Like they had their best Sunday in like, Five years, I think, because the Chiefs lost.
0: So there is a certain point where you can say, I'm going to bet this way because this is how, because like these are the ways that everybody is betting. And this is where the line is moving because of the people are moving it. So I'm going to adjust my bet.
2: Yeah. And you can actually, if you really want to get into the nerd shit, I will go there. You can look at how the money's being spent. And if, when there's a difference between, you look at the percentage of bets And it's usually like around 50, but if you see the percentages skewed in one team, but the number, but the amount is on the other team, that's a huge red flag to go where the money is, not where the amount of tickets are.
0: That's interesting.
2: I think there was a Lions game earlier. Oh, the Lions Cardinals game, like only 25% of the bets were on the Lions, but 70% of the money was on them. So I was like, oh, okay, Detroit's going to be in this one. That makes sense.
1: So what so uh one of my favorite things to ask anybody is uh bad beats. You got any good bad beats to tell me? And uh Dave is uh Dave's been obsessed with this Tim Donahue uh podcast. So we're going to get into that in just
0: a oh second.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> so us hear some bad beats and we'll go to that to Tim Donahue podcast.
2: Well, my worst week was beat was uh, it wasn't even a bad beat, but it was it was pretty steep. I was on fire at the open, first round of the NBA playoffs. Mm-hmm. I got every game right. on the first day. And you know what? I just wanted to make an easy 90 bucks. So I I knew the Milwaukee Bucks would beat the Orlando Magic if the Magic were down their four best players. The Magic won that game by 20. I lost $2,500 on it. And immediately after that happened, I found out I got cut from a progressive commercial in like just dealing with it, I was like, all right, I'll get my money back on the Lakers. Anthony Davis swept this team again. The Lakers lost game one to the Blazers. And like I lost so much gambling, but even in compared to the commercial, it's nothing.
0: <laughs> I guess I guess that's one way to look at it.
2: <laughs> I think it's a twenty-seven thousand dollar Swing that day.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> a personal bad beat, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't play fantasy football anymore. I was in a big money league last, a, a guillotine league. Lowest point total gets eliminated. Odell Beckham eliminated me because he fumbled a punt. They, I would say they put him in there. He muffed it. And I was on, I was camping with my mom and my sister. I didn't have any reception the entire time, except I got one alert. Odell fumbles punt and so I was just out in the woods steaming mad, couldn't find out what happened any context and like I, I had the opposite of like the first bet I ever made was on the Seahawks when Blair Walsh missed a 19yard field goal to eliminate them. So I just hate the Vikings. Bears, whatever. Packers can rot in hell. (laughs) Is that the
1: game that that was outside? They played the playoff game at at the University of Minnesota?
2: Yep. And they had that game. They were the better team and just, Uh like, missed it horribly.
0: I feel the same way about the Central, for the record. I don't really have a problem with the Lions, whereas I fucking hate the Vikings and the Packers.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I I think when the Lions, if they're ever good, I don't think it will happen. It's going to be like a national holiday. No one will be – up. even, like, divisional foes will be like, yeah, I think they're due.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. And that's why, the I mean, both the Bears and the Lions, we've had some seasons, but overall for the past 25, 30 years, not very good. So you can't really be mad when both teams aren't good.
2: Yeah, but you keep comparing yourself to us. You, I, I've watched you win playoff games. I've watched you go to Super Bowls. They're like... I'm not. I'm 34, dude. I've not seen my team win a win a playoff game. Like I had to go back and watch the 91 divisional round during quarantine just so I could kind of get what that feeling was like. I'm yeah, deprived. Boy. Like if m- we're comparing like football athletes to movie characters, in my experience as a Lions fan, pick any character in room.
0: yeah uh you have a point Uh, my only thing my only thing i would say is it it sucks not to get into the playoffs but it also sucks to get into the playoffs knowing that you're going to lose every time (laughs) and even that year we went to the super bowl i mean that year that we that was one year and we should have won and didn't so it's like it's worse. it's almost worse but i i see your point and i'm sure you've had some some dark some dark uh, dark sunday nights
1: that 91 playoff uh run did you watch the nfc championship game with the score i, was?
0: I did i did it was close for a quarter
2: though it, dude the best story in sports right now is dwayne haskins fake and sick i love it he loses his job and like he's been milking a fake stomach virus for six days won't come in god i didn't think anyone would ever be more inept than jamarcus russell We've found he's, our guy.
1: You've given a run for the money. So, do you know why he was drafted? And why he Why he became the starter?
2: Because he's from Maryland.
1: He's from Maryland, he went the He went to high school with uh, Dan uh, Dan Gilbert's kids. They're friends. He's friends with the Gilberts from like elementary school, middle school. They went to this uh, he went to this private school in Potomac, Maryland, and that's where his kids go to school. So right. he's like a personal friend of the family. It's a total will, fucking shit show.
2: Yeah, and like Dan Snyder, so you I know, if you follow his story. Like if you read back to his I like to look at owners' business dealings before they got into sports. Dan Snyder's are terrible. Yes. Like he nearly bankrupted Six Flags when one of his initiatives was to sell a Six Flags branded mattress. Yeah. I don't know who buys that. <laughs>
0: what the fuck yeah his whole his shit is a lifetime of uh ineptitude and uh you know bullshit
2: you can tell i went to i went to a washington game last year george i loved it i loved the band but you could tell how bad that team has run just from leaving the parking lot afterwards it oh, took it me four a- hours to get out <laughs> of parking lot it was insane oh, it's <laughs> awful
1: in fact uh i joke with when my whenever i go because i go to i usually go to a game once a year I was like, the only thing great about this place is a great place to get a DUI and everything else. Just, just, it just gets shittier from there. So if, uh, Dave is listening to the Tim Donahue podcast. It's on my list of things to listen to. Dave take it away because there are some games that seemed to be, I'm just going to use the F word, fixed.
0: <laughs> it's its really fucking interesting. I would love your take on it. I don't know if you're listening to it yet, Joel, but it's called Whistleblower. And it's just really interesting because it goes, I mean, you know, we know about Tim Donaghy and we know that he had the scandal and he was involved with the mob and whatever, but it's like, it's much bigger than that. It's, it's the culture of the NBA and how, you know, especially under David Stern, there are so much to suggest. I mean, not even suggest we, we know that it's true that they tell officials how to officiate games and they go, you know, and how to call, Certain players and how to you know favor and not favor and like call certain fouls in a certain way and all this shit. I mean, they get notes on how they did things right or didn't do things right at the end of every game. And the playoff games are all you know. You have to be like they get chosen to do that. But the Don—it's really interesting as far as the betting lines because Donaghy basically found out. Like he said, the for him for basketball the line was six, and he could a six-point spread. He could influence anything in a pretty much totally untraceable or unprovable way with six and under, because, you know, you're talking about like free throws at the end of the game and like, you're giving a certain team free throws and you're not giving and, you know, or calling like the six foul on an important player or something like that. Also, you know, they talk about how certain refs do, do you account for refs? Do you look at like, is that something that as a gambler you're like, who is refing this game?
1: Yeah, if it's Scott Foster's crew, which is known for taking yes. on really shitty calls at the end. Yeah, I actually would like to know is when you go to bet on games, it's like, are you looking at maybe the, the crew that's working that game? Because some crews are a little looser than others.
2: I think there was one NFL game fixed last year, and I've been watching the ref. There was a Lions-Packers Monday night football game where the Lions sealed the game on three consecutive third down defensive stops, and there were calls for an illegal hands to the face that – didn't exist and from looking at that I saw that the referee Cleet Blakeman the home team had won in shady fashion three consecutive weeks and there was actually some pretty good rumors that were from sources I respect that said very large money line bets had been placed minutes before each of Cleet Blakeman's previous six starts on the home team's money line so that's suspicious to me and like Back to your point, Dave, about how easy it is to fix a game like Jeff Perlman, great sports writer, wrote the John Rocker piece, wrote the book on the 86 Mets. He just did a book on the Kobe era Lakers and probably the poster child for fixed NBA games is game six, 2002 Western Conference Finals.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: I asked him about that. He said the players have no idea any of this happened. Like the Donahue story broke first. And until that happened, they didn't even suspect a thing. So if you can do that, the people who are being affected by this don't even know they're being affected by this.
0: Well, the the Kings did, or the certain players on the Kings will tell you, will say on whistleblower they say that they did. Scott Pollard and Rashid Wallace are like, we were laughing about it because we we literally had to go in the locker room and be like, we don't, we just have to do. We, we, don't ha- we don't have, we don't have a weapon against this, you know, but like, they also, you couldn't prove it. And they talk about, it's interesting because they talk about partially it was Stern because he wasn't a, like, he's a businessman and he set it up. So it's a culture where. We'll never get the truth because even even to say fixing, is like they say influencing. They could influence the game. You can't prove that they, because it's all subjective anyway, right? You can't prove that he missed this foul call or unless he says it. And none of these refs besides Donaghy, who was completely shunned and they were like, oh, we got a scapegoat. So let's blame everything on him. None of these other guys will ever say anything about it. So it's like, we'll never know. Yeah, the
2: NBA is easy. The NFL, I feel like it's kind of baked in there in a way I'm kind of okay with. A team goes up two touchdowns, they don't get a, a, a call until things kind of even out a bit. There's a lot of pass interferences to bring teams back in it, nudge it towards the point spread. And I do just think it's kind of a fundamental piece of the sports experience that's probably global.
0: Like, I mean, it is and it is in like every, every uh, sport too. I mean, you know, as a Bulls fan growing up in the the Michael Jordan era, I'd have to be a complete fucking delusional, you know, asshole to not say that, you know, he got favorable calls because he was Michael Jordan. And and every anytime Phil Jackson went to the media after the game and complained about the calls, he was doing that so he get the calls in the next game. Mm -hmm. And and he did, you know, and it's like you're right that like some of that is just part of the Part of the game, right? We can't ever remove that.
2: Yeah. And like you, you saw that same thing with the Lakers in this la- recent finals. Like that game five duel, probably the best NBA game this si- side of the All Star game this year. Yeah. Like the Heat played incredible. Every call in that game kind of skewed Lakers, in my opinion. Like Me there were just little things. It's like, oh, they did that review with the one shot. Like that reviewing a play you think that would be an advantage to the Miami Heat there but you know what that actually gives the Lakers a time to set their defense and like the Ray Allen shot Pop was livid after that not because of the shot whatever great plays happen but because they stopped and reviewed a clear play that allowed Miami to get their defense set in their in their situation so I think it might even extend beyond like the calls, you know, there's a way they stop and start the game. Like totally.
0: Totally. Well, and that's what they say in the podcast too, about like, yeah, it's everything. And it's also like these refs, they all, especially in the NBA, I'm not sure exactly the NFL or MLB, but it's really incestuous and it's all like a group of people that like fucking grew up together and like their cousins are married and like all sorts of weird shit. Uh, You know, so it's all like, they're all, yeah, they, they all think the same way and and they all know that, yeah, you can do little things like that. Like, yeah, give this team an opportunity to game plan. Yeah. There's, like I said before, things that you can't directly be like, well, that's, that's fixed. That that's obviously fixed, you know, and that's how they do it. So, so they get away with it.
2: And to go full circle in this conversation, we're talking about, oh, the best team in baseball never wins. Well, there's not really an easy way to fix a baseball game. Is there? balls either gonna go in play or it's not
0: that's true unless you're talking about calling you know well it's i don't know it's it's one of those things calling balls and strikes i'd say would be the only right
2: a a little bit but you can't like upset a rhythm you can't take something away from anyone
0: no it's definitely harder to do i would say
2: did you guys see that clip from the japanese baseball game this morning
0: yeah that was great
2: (laughs) incredible what a moment a guy Ken Griffey Jr. robbed some guy, but he pretended like he didn't. And he didn't pull it out until the guy finished rounding the bases.
0: Yeah. Oh, my and the, God. The camera, everybody was full of the camera crew. And the best thing I like about that, too, is that, like, he didn't even, when he, the reveal wasn't even, like, dramatic at all. He just walked away, and then he just, like, pulled it out of his glove.
1: <laughs> to look for that. Yeah. yeah. So, Joel, uh, Dave and I, are, our podcast is Sports and Pop Culture. We're going to get into a final part of a segment, but... One of the things that we definitely want to talk to you about, Dave, being a filmmaker and writer, and then me being whatever the fuck that I'm ever into, a lot of movies and shit. And a comedian you being a and writer, don't suck. I'm done comedy since March, but who gives a shit? Um, well, uh,
0: whatever, state of
1: mind. What films and uh, what films and get gambling right, and what do they get wrong in the films that you've seen? Because like, I tried to watch Two for the Money last night, and woo, it's, it was a good hang, and then a bad hang, and then I was like, I just wasted two hours of my time.
2: Give me a replacement level McConaughey film. <laughs> every, every day, Lincoln lawyer, if that's on, I'm staying seated, my friends. So right, right. I mean, just from the stress position, I know it's a hack answer. I know it's cliche, but the safety's nailed it. Uncut gems that does like I've made a few irresponsible bets that panned out. Like last year, I put $10,000 on the Patriots money line against the Bengals and they were down. 14-0 immediately. They won that game. So when I saw Uncut Gems a month later, it's like, oh, I already saw this movie. I think I lived it.
0: Yeah, well, they got the tension and the paranoia, like the, the anxiety. You know, they they definitely got the anxiety. Yeah. Know, and and anything With money and, like that.
2: And there's there certain things you feel physically when you have a, a, when you're sweating out a bit. You feel it in your diaphragm, your, your mouth's a little tighter, you're clenching your teeth. And like all those characteristics were were in there and like going back. I think the gambler with uh, James Con did a good job. You know, like running from a bookie isn't something I've, I'm proud to have done. I've, I've had to be chased a few times. I've got some rabbit in me, okay. so that experience was really well summarized in the gambler. Two for the money. I've yet to be brought it. I guess that I guess I am brought into a big gambling company right now, but we're just making podcasts instead of profit. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, odd enough, I was actually, I enjoyed the beginning of it because I was like, well, they actually got that part right. But then like the, the subplot with the wife and the book, it's just a mess. And plus Al Pacino's really going for it. Like heat level, ah, ah, I was like that kind of thing. And I was just like, yeah, no, I think I'm good.
0: I definitely think there's some real viral soundbite type YouTube clips of that movie specifically. It like lives in the lore of like really bad kind of fun movies.
1: I'm glad you mentioned the gambler though. The gambler is written by a dude that actually was loosely based on his life.
0: James Toback, yeah. Yeah. yeah a, he also it. became a director and and writer.
1: Yeah. So he uh that was loosely based on like uh because he was a teacher in New York at Queen's College, I think. Got in with got in with so with this basketball player. No, that that's loosely based on uh, like real events that happened to him.
2: And you know, another one that I think got it, the first season of the deuce. You know, James Franco, there's the good twin and there's the shitty twin. The shitty twin spends season one on just a losing streak. And like, we've all been there, you know, as soon as he sits down, his money's gone. And when you're cold, you're cold.
0: They nailed that. As soon as he had money in his pocket, he had to gamble yeah right? like he had to try to he was like what can i what can i bet on now you know
2: yeah and like now with with doing a gambling show i do try and teach like a little bit responsible bankroll habits but i certainly know some people like that and they're all trading options these days <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but even even like not being like a total you know deadbeat or or anything like there is a it's like uh, I don't have any tattoos, honestly. But they say about tattoos, like once you get one, you like it so much that you you almost never get one because you want to get more. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing with gambling, right? Like there is a there is a non degenerate level to also be really into it, right?
2: Yeah, and I, I do think like gambling is getting a lot more family friendly. You see, like you know, they're being a- appealing to like the common like person, and I think the real degenerates are probably acting more like financial bros than degenerate gamblers yeah i've got a really addictive personality i've gotten addicted to jolly ranchers before but i will say only have one tattoo got the michigan on my hand that's
0: it there you go you're the only person i know with one tattoo
1: so joel uh, as, as you know we've been friends for uh for a good bit of years probably like 10 years now and i know that you're a detroit Pistons fans so let's go ahead and get into the our, our segment which is so Dave and I, we call it the who of the what. We're still <laughs> the who of the who of the what.
0: The what, and, the uh, who, and whatever the fuck.
1: And I know <laughs> you like Breaking Bad. And so I'm just going to give a little stats about your Detroit Pistons. So from 01 to 06, they went to five treaties and conference finals. Is that correct?
2: I think it was six because they, they lost right? to LeBron in 07. And I think it's actually 2003 to 2008 because they... They lost to the Celtics one. They lost to the Nets. They beat the Pacers. They lost... They beat the Heat, they lost to the Heat, they lost to the Cavs, and then they lost to the Celtics.
1: The NBA title was when they beat the Pacers, correct?
2: Yeah, and the worst played playoff series in NBA history. I went to the deciding game. What do you, what do you think the final score was? 88 to 68. I believe it was 66-62. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I was expecting it to be low, but six—it's wow, that's bad. Yeah, you
2: know, you get five elite defenders, they're going to ruin the game of basketball for you.
0: That was kind of why I liked that team, like being from Chicago and stuff. Even, even you know, everybody knows growing up with Jordan and Pippen, those guys are like super offensive players, but that team made its name on defense. And, and those, if you look at those scores, they never scored over a hundred points ever you, because it was Jordan was, that was, he was the only one scoring and Pippen. But that's why I always liked those Pistons teams because they were like a greater than the sum of its parts, right? Like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts type team, right? Yeah.
2: And that, and, that, and that's Larry Brown. And that's having like, that's a lot of teams have tried to replicate it, but ha- getting the retreads like Chauncey Billups was probably the star of that team. And like his career was shaped so interesting, like he was just shuttled around so often, man, when we signed him, I watched him, he was a little bit in as Troy Hudson's backup for the Timberwolves in like 2002. He was lighting it up and he came over as okay. I think we got our guy here. The Rashid yeah. Wallace, like the Hawks deserve a, a title ring for that. Like the Rashid Wallace trade, they should not have done that whatsoever. Uh, we got Rashid Wallace for Bobby Sura. Rashid, they got, they traded for Rashid from Portland. He played one game in a Hawks jersey. That's if I could get any jersey, it would be a Rashid Wallace Hawks because well, it was if like at the
0: time where Rashid Wallace was like the albatross right like he like everybody was like we don't want to, anything to do with him.
2: Yeah, he was the poster child for the for the jailblazers like everyone else like misbehaved. He was just a guy who smoked weed was a little brash but was like truly a student of the game like if you could go back and tell people well, yeah he's gonna be a high school basketball coach and a really good one maybe he'd be given the benefit of the doubt a little bit more.
1: Joe Dumars, when he was the GM, he traded Chucky Atkins, Lindsey Hunter, Bobby Sura for Mike James and Rashid Wallace.
2: And we got Lindsey Hunter back. He was bought out. Very next week. Yeah. And there were possessions in that 4 finals where Lindsey Hunter guarded Shaq. (laughs) That's insane. Yeah, it was just, they got the right switch. And, And Lindsey... He stood his ground, okay. Pitbull. I mean, the pitbull.
0: Yeah, for you know a six foot guy against a seven foot monster. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that team that team is likable because they are like a scrappy, and it was like you said, like uh, with Chauncey, and I think with some of the other guys, it's like a right fit. Like they, I mean, I'm gonna talk about this a little bit later, but Chauncey Billups, like. Yeah, he he always had talent, but they he didn't fit on the team, right? Or they didn't find a fit or know how to use him. But those Pistons team, he fit perfectly. Yeah, I mean, about- we'll just start
1: it off with Phillips, and then we'll we'll go from there. So it's like uh, a-
0: all right, you want to start it off
1: go Start
0: off with Billups, all right. Go. We're so we're doing uh Breaking Bad, we're
1: doing Breaking Bad, slash with, uh, better
0: call Saul universe. I took on some of the big ones, so I felt I, I felt like okay, so I'll start with Chauncey Billups. You kind of gave me a good lead in already, Joel, when you said that he was somebody who was kind of passed around quite a bit. I mean, he was uh the number one pick, correct, by Boston,
2: right? They picked third, he was so, in the he was the third guy in the Duncan Keith Van Horn draft, yes, no, from and, Colorado, but, I believe,
0: Colorado. But people had high hopes for him. It took him a while to come into his own. And, he, I mean, he played Boston, Toronto, Denver, and Minnesota. And you're right, he, he lit it up for Minnesota because he was trajectory really kind of was just starting to take off, and he was starting to figure it out When the, when the Pistons got him. His field goal percentage was rising, like, every year. And he's one of those guys that even, I would say, his biggest skill on that Pistons team – was leadership ability. Like he, he hit big shots and he made big plays, but he kind of brought them all. He seemed, he was a floor general, you know, I mean, that's a cliche term, but he definitely was someone who, when you were out there and when he was out there and he had the ball, you certainly had a sense of him being in control.
2: Yeah. And especially like a guy like Rip Hamilton, he was kind of his era's clay Thompson, like not especially good with the ball in his hands, but if you like a big part of that offense was Chauncey facilitating it explicitly to rip and like that one, two punch worked extremely well for him. And that's floor general to behaviors perfectly.
0: Yeah. And he wasn't. And some of those other guys got like the headlines, like rip definitely got some headlines because he maybe had some more higher scoring games and Ben Wallace certainly got some headlines just because of his, you know, defensive prowess. And uh, Rishi Wallace always gets headlines because not only is he a great player, but he is someone who's outspoken. Also, just as a side note in Whistleblower, like he's in it and he comes up, he's, that guy's so smart. I, I never knew how smart he was and like, because he got such a ridiculous rap from, you know, the media and the NBA of like being this malcontent. And no, he isn't one. He isn't one really. He got a bad rap, misunderstood.
2: Yeah. People just didn't know how to, account how to take on someone with tattoos and emotions like what
0: (laughs) exactly exactly um but but anyway chauncey billups like i said he's like uh somebody who passed around kind of overlooked but then became kind of a galvanizer and somebody who was like a really good slot into a team and that is why he as a breaking bad character is jesse pinkman oh there we go. his jesse pinkman (laughs) He was written off. He was literally about to be written off. Was going to die in the first season, and they loved his character and Aaron Paul, who played him so well, so much that uh, he didn't. And just like Chauncey Billups, someone who was kind of cast off from many different teams, and then he became, you know, I would say, would it would it be fair to say that Chauncey Billups is a is a lot of Pistons fans' favorite player from that team?
2: Um, I I, I would disagree with that actually.
0: All right, fair enough.
2: He, that, that it's the Wallace brothers. Like <laughs> that, that, that was Ben's team in Detroit. It Fair all, like he was there first, he was there last and the, he didn't score points. So like that Detroit basketball DNA was just exemplified in Ben.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's, well, I think you'll like the the comparison I have for Ben Wallace then. <laughs> um, right.
2: Are we going tip for tit or We've rotated.
0: I think we're going to rotate. Okay. Right?
2: So I guess I'll go next.
1: And uh, I, uh, I'm talking about Joe Dumar. Joe Dumar is the executive, not the basketball player, one of one of the best guards of all
2: time. Oh, I, I, I know the comp you're making
1: already. No <laughs> <Go laughs> we'll ad. Well we'll see, because like uh, like Joe Dumar is kind of go out kind of quietly, which is why I, I, I compare this person. I, like I said, traded Chucky Atkins, Bobby Sura, Rebraca. Is that how you
2: pronounce his last name? Zeliko, Rebracha.
1: Rebracha, and uh, Mike James, Mike James. Like uh, so I mean, sorry, traded all those guys from Mike James and Rasheed Wallace. The team, when he was an executive, his record was five ninety five and five thirty six. That's about fifty three percent winning percentage, seventy three playoff wins, six Eastern Conference Finals, two playoff, uh, two finals appearance, one title. He also won Executive of the Year, and he also made the bold move of, uh, of firing Rick Carlisle, which is which I didn't know all that stuff that you said in the beginning, which is kind of which is kind of interesting. I guess he had to go, but I've also seen Rick Carlisle in interviews,
2: and he seems. Not happy. (laughs) Good good looking guy though. I will say that. He looks like Jim Carrey. He Um, looks exactly uh, (laughs) like Jim Carrey.
0: Exactly. And like, he looks like Jim Carrey at every stage with long hair, with medium hair, with no hair. They look alike at every point.
1: So like Joe Dumars, I'm going to have to compare him to my comp for Breaking Bad is Lydia, head of logistics at Madrigal because she was like the linchpin of Walter White getting very, very rich. She supplied the methylamine, and she was later poisoned at the end. Kind of went out with a whimper, just like Joe Dumars did. I guess he works with Sacramento now,
2: yeah, and that, now you can tell how badly the second half of his GM run went because he got hired by the Kings. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs>
2: yeah kind of went out,
1: did like start off with the bang and kind of went out with a with a bit of a whimper. So so you
2: got Corliss Williamson? Oh, I mean, Corliss, will Williamson, I mean, he didn't make a lot of appearances. But he was always effective. He always got done what he needed to do. And it, maybe the, we're just doing the 2004 season, but Corliss has to be Tuco Salamanca. Like, <laughs> a little bit scary, but did what he needed to do at every possible turn. And like we lost that Spurs series, not because R- Rashid Wallace didn't make that rotation against Robert Ori. We lost because we let Corliss and O'Kirk walk. And, like, everyone was comparing Miami to the Pistons this season. And, like, I felt like they missed the point. The point was we had a second unit that just blew other team second units out of the water. So, yeah, I got to go to go for Corliss.
1: Nice. I told I told Joel this, I'm telling tell you this, Dave. When I was in high school, I loved Corliss Williamson and that Arkansas, that Arkansas Razorbacks national championships. In fact, they won a national championship and then went and lost it next year to UCLA. But I had a number 34. Arkansas Razorbacks, Big Nasty jersey hung up in my in my foot. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to Big Nasty. All right, Dave, go ahead.
0: Okay, so I'm up next. I'm going to do Ben Wallace. You said that he was a lot of Pistons fans favorite player. And honestly, as a non-Pistons fan from that team, he was probably my favorite player. You know, and then obviously he went to the Bulls, which was like a very misguided, like the Bulls gave him a ton of money being like, he's going to be the face of the franchise and the star. And Ben Wallace isn't really the face of the franchise. He's not that type of player. But he is an amazing player for the fact that he was a center who was 6'9" and led the, le- the league in rebounding almost every year for five straight years. He also won multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards. And like I said, not the biggest guy, but also not someone you would want to run into in an alley. Very scary person. He also was very pissed off when he was with the Bulls when uh, him and Scott Skiles clashed. Because, yeah, because he couldn't... he Because the Bulls had a no-headband policy. Which, <laughs> first of all, I was like... No, go fuck yourself. Like, that's like some George Steinbredder. You can't shave your, like, get the fuck out of here. But yeah, Ben Wallace did not like it, that he could not wear the headband. And I think he even said, like, fuck it at one point and wore it and got fined for it. Ben Wallace, he's also, to me, like one of those guys that, again, he doesn't have to do a lot of talking. He just is imposing. And you just are taking him seriously because he's hustling his ass off. And you can see, you know, like I said, he's not the most talented person in the world, but he gets... Every ounce out of his body, and every second he's on the court, he's going full tilt. And that is why he is Mike (laughs) Ermintrout. Oh, that's
2: a great comp. I love that. Nice.
0: Because he's like, if you're gonna pick one fucking per I mean, Mike is the man, but he's not somebody who needs to talk about it, he just does it. And he's also somebody that kind of Ben Wallace, another one of those guys, the Pistons team. This is also why they're a very likable team, even to outsiders that it's a like you said, a lot of retreads, a lot of people that kind of couldn't find their footing. Ben Wallace being one of them, people didn't have a role for him. He wasn't, people didn't know how to use him. I mean, he was with Washington, right? George for like a year or two. And he kind of passed around and, you know, people thought he was like a 10, 15 minute energy hustle bench player. And then he goes to the Pistons and slots in and becomes this monster. And Mike, Mike also was languishing away uh, first with the fucking Philly police or whatever, being a drunk in a bar, bo- you know, not, now that we've learned in uh, Better Call Saul. But then he was the the security guard at the, at the court, <laughs> at the courthouse until Gus Fring plucked him out and, and made him the guy, you know, and he's that fucking number two, that badass, that enforcer. and. To me, that's definitely Ben Wallace. Yeah, and
2: I think you're right. I mean, Mike's so good at the things he wants to do. That's Ben on defense and rebounding. But if you put him with his granddaughter, yeah. it's going to get a little dicey. Yeah.
0: Like he, he wants to be there, but he doesn't really know how to do that thing. Exactly. Like the compassion and love type thing. <laughs> you know.
1: All right, I'm next. Uh, I'm going to talk about the, the number 23 draft pick in the uh, 2002 NBA draft for your player at University of Kentucky. I'm going to talk a little bit about Tayshaun Prince. Didn't play a whole lot that first season, but got inserted in the lineup in the playoffs in two thousand three when the the Detroit Pistons were down three one to Orlando Magic.
2: The first uh, Doc Doc he he helped Doc Rivers find his destiny. You put Tayshon right. on <laughs> oh, that's right. it was the first right. Doc Rivers. <laughs> it's
1: like uh, it was like this is going to be you in a few years down the road. You'll you'll thank me later or you're going to hate me later. He oddly enough scored more points in that playoffs that uh, 2003 playoffs that so he did the whole season in those 82 games. He, he also played all 82 games. 3 becomes a starter. Joel, I'm going to break this up for just a minute because I want to hear a minute about the block against Reggie Miller in Game 7. Tell me, what, where were you at in, in and the amazing Tayshawn Prince block?
2: In the context of this conversation, doesn't that make Reggie Miller Hank? <laughs> <laughs> I, possibly, he, yeah. He got, he got there. He got in the right moment. And then, you know... Things he got a little embarrassed at the biggest time. I mean, Tayshawn was the guy who just to have that come out of nowhere to become a, a contributor and to make the biggest play in Detroit Pistons history against a pretty hated rival. Yeah, was an incredible moment. Like we weren't a better team than Indiana that year. No, Not at all. Indiana left so many titles on the table in the early 2000s. Yes, <laughs> and that, that play was so deflating. Like. The game I went to that was 66-64, that was just the hangover of that block. So it was so huge. And I'd also like to add, I snuck into his wedding and he let me stay.
1: Oh, nice. There you go. Awesome. Nice. So uh, I also, and I'm also i going to get in a little bit about one of my favorite games because I was never much of a Kobe fan. So to watch Kobe just struggle. That 88-68 Anaconda vice that they put on the Lakers, which he held Kobe to 11 points, is one of the one of the better performances that I've ever that I've ever seen. So for my comprehend, he's uh, he was young, he was cold, he was calculating, he was sneaky, scary. I'm gonna go with my man Todd Alquist, which is one of my favorite characters in the Breaking Bad universe. Nobody wanted to fuck with, but just seemed like a dude. Just like that was like, um, I guess he seems like a nice kid. You know what I mean? And he realizes he's a stone killer. So Todd Alquist is my guy, Tayshon Prince.
2: Okay, I thought I thought Tayshawn might end up being your Walter White. I I, I uh, would have. Cause he's the guy who got changed the most by this. He's the one who evolved and became something different because of this experience. So that's there.
1: No, the, the baby face, seems as an assassin. And that block is one of the best blocks in the history of the, of the NBA.
2: Um, yeah. I, for, for Darko, I'm going to say it's gotta be Jane. Because he was about as active and contributing to wins as her overdosing on heroin. (laughs) And the team looked at him and they're like, oh, we could save this guy. And they're like, nah, we're good.
0: (laughs) As a Pistons fan, just, I don't want to like derail everything too bad, but do you think that, I mean, we all know Darko was a huge bust and, and whatever, but would Carmelo and like, would they have been, would they have won multiple championships if they took Carmelo in that draft?
2: No, but if they took Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh, they certainly would have. Like Chris Bosh, that eliminates. You have a, a two Rashid Wallaces essentially. Like yeah. that's an incredible thing to have. If you have Dwayne Wade on this team, they're a
0: dynasty. But do you think that they would have? Like, there's so much pre Like Carmelo was such a a name at that time. Do you think that they would? I don't. If they had the, you know, if they ha- if having the second pick.
2: I've read every Reddit post that's ever existed on this. And I, I I believe they would have taken Bosch. I think Bosch was the runner up just from adding they didn't have Rashid yet, so they wanted a little offense next to Ben Wallace. That makes sense. Yeah,
1: you know, just on a side note, and real quick, is like I was listening to Zach Lowe in a podcast talking about that draft class. And apparently there was a gym right next to the hotel where they were staying out. And he just happened to work out Darko, and apparently he just murdered. Murdered at, against pros. Oh, this guy's gonna be pretty good.
2: Yeah, the quotes out of the team that day—they were playing the Nets in the playoffs at that time. They're like, "Oh, we need this guy tomorrow." <laughs> yeah.
0: I'll ask you just to finish on Darko, like as a, somebody who legitimately watched him, was there was there anything there? Like, could he have? Could he have been good?
2: No. If you go, there's um, a YouTube compilation of Darko's greatest plays, and they're all just put back dunks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's like you know, it's like, is he? like Boban, like Boban doesn't play because we don't think he can stand up to 30 minutes, but like whenever he's out there, he, he is, he is really good. Right. Like Yeah. I
2: mean, Darko, he proved himself to be an NBA player in Memphis and Orlando, but maybe in today's NBA where he could have that range, but like the, the instincts there were, how do we take this multi-skilled unique prospect and turn him into Al Jefferson? Yeah. So that was never going to work for him. Dave, go ahead quickly, the last one.
0: All right. So my last one is I'm taking Rip Hamilton. We've already talked about him a little bit, but I always liked Rip Hamilton because he's such a fun player to watch because he never stopped. He never, ever stopped. And a guy that his role was kind of to score on that team, although he was a great perimeter defender as well, but he scored a lot, like you were saying, off of Billups and off of some of the other creator guys in that he ran around a lot of screens, a lot of catch and shoot opportunities, a lot of slashing to the basket. But somebody who, he was always pretty good and and badass. I mean, he won that championship at UConn. He hit the game winning shot in that, in that national championship game. And he was also a smart player. Like I said, he's cut, he gets his offense in the flow of the offense coming off screens. He doesn't blow you away. He doesn't blow you away with like a ton of his individual skills, but he's probably, he was, was he the guy that was getting the last shot on those Pistons teams or one of the guys that was getting the last shot? Nah,
2: maybe it was Billups 1A and then he was 1B.
0: Sure, which is which fits into my comparison, which I wanted to expand the world to Better Call Saul because I love those characters. And which is why Rip Hamilton, also a guy that so badass that his nickname became his name. I mean, I haven't even said his first, his real name is Richard, Richard Hamilton. So that is why Rip Hamilton is Lalo he's <laughs> oh,
2: kind of sweet and likable so i i get but, that
0: but also like do not like he'll get it done he will get it, it done and oh, win you the game
2: efficient always moving i thought rip the coolest part is he had different training than any an- nba player like he just did cross-country running and like that's
0: awesome it. yeah which makes sense of why he was like you know his best he was the most he had the best endurance on the court at any given time he's always running around and is a nightmare for defenders
1: Absolutely. um
0: but yeah that's why he's lalo also a nightmare and i hope we and also a nickname we don't even know lalo's real name his full name but lalo is traditionally a nickname um
2: i can't character. believe lalo made it out of this season alive that's I mean, neither, but it's <laughs> like
0: how awesome a character he is I, i'm sure they're like we have to keep this guy is right. doing such a great job. We have to keep him in the show somehow. I'm
1: gonna go to my last one and very quickly. I'm gonna talk about the coach for two seasons with okay. that Detroit Pistons a team who went 108 and 56, won the NBA title in 3 I've already mentioned lost in 04 to the Spurs. We can get into that another time because that was an interesting series. I think Detroit was like not too happy the fact that he was flirting with the Knicks and he just took the money and ran. So got the got the bags mm-hmm. dropped and got out of town. So my comp for him is Jack Welker, the leader of the Aryan Nation. that They've got the the a 10-killing of uh, 10 men in two minutes, killed Gomez, killed Hank, and uh, took the money and ran, but didn't make it all the way at the end. And so that's what my comp is for Larry Brown.
2: That, that, that's a good one. And like anyone with uncle in their name, pretty good for Larry Brown. Exactly. To tie it up, I'm going to stay with the better expansion all for that. You know, you want to have a guy who – and I'm Rashid Wallace. I'm looking at a guy who – was the missing piece, who added dimensions you didn't know you were missing and was brought in late, but was such a memorable part of it that he's almost the first takeaway. I think Rashid's Huel Babineau. (laughs) (laughs) Memorable every second. No one quite knows what to make of him, but dang, every scene is better with that guy in it. And, I mean, both... You know, Lavelle Crawford and Rashid are guys who I would listen to talking to a microphone for an hour. No hesitation.
0: 100%. Yeah, I I love, I'm with that totally. Lavelle Crawford is hysterical, and he will, you're right. Like every second he's on screen is is worthwhile.
2: Uh, Lavelle's a great stand up. I'm just saying
1: that. He, no,
0: he's he's hysterical. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, Joby, thank you for being on our show. You're our second guest, and you dock it out of the park. Um, before we let you go, plug something real quick for us.
0: What's up? Um,
2: Check out the Props Network. My show there is on, is the walk-on. We have new shows five times a week. So, I mean, I'm just about to sit down. I do the Friday Props Drop. I pick eight-player props where I'm going to spend my money. And that's out. We have stuff out every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So, it's a great time. I love this company and I love working with them. So, if you guys give them a little bit of attention, I would really appreciate it. And personally... I'm the Walczowski on Twitter, Joel Walczowski on Instagram, and I would be at your bar more often if I drank. Yeah. <laughs> or well, if, if there were
1: bars. <laughs> I started smoking pot, so maybe we could smoke some weed.
2: Oh, dude, we're all, we're there, and like, I do really like the segment for breaking down the worst game of the week. So we got to have a Washington one in the in the mix soon.
1: Yeah, one of the things that sucks about New York is as we all and I bitched about this a couple weeks ago in on our one of our segments is like. We unfortunately have to watch the Jets and Giants every, every Sunday. They need to have a loser lease town match or one of them needs to be relegated. I just can't have that on my TV.
2: Yeah, I mean, just get an HDMI cable and buff streams. You'll be fine. <laughs> oh, man. that's I'm all George's,
1: about the remote cable, bro. George
0: is 40 going on 80. So.
1: Exactly, exactly, man. I got to hold on to that shit.
2: <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Joel, uh, be
2: well, up, my friend. We'll talk to you soon, partner.
0: Thank all you right, very I, much.
2: I had for a blast a with you guys. And George, have a great afternoon you all too right man
0: all right that that was awesome they was uh that was super fun
2: yeah ten thousand dollars he lost in a game
0: Woo! Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> insane Is i mean he said one, it, when he said about 2500 i was like oh way too much <laughs> 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 i'm like betting 50 bucks at the bar Wait, like, shit, i was yeah. talking about like some, some
1: 20 spots
0: yeah bar. like i went to yeah. vegas for a fight and and bet like a hundred dollars <laughs> like i'm not I, yeah that's Woo-hoo. i'm not but you so might,
1: might need to have a conversation bro You're the fucking, but
0: but it's awesome i mean but that but you know that was kind of one of my questions going in for him about like you know we didn't technically get to it but he answered it in uh, can anybody who knows sports just like make money and the answer essentially is no i mean you have to a- you have to know what you're doing. I mean, he, 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 literally, his moniker is the professional gambler because he is professional. Like he knows yeah. he, you know, he, like he was saying, he studies it and you have to, I mean, he knows the refs and he, you know,
1: yeah. I mean, like when he, when I wasn't expecting him to know that, like that, that question was, uh, I love that we talked about Donnie. Uh, he was like, you knew exactly what you're talking about. It was like, Oh yeah. The blah, blah, blah. And I was like,
0: oh yeah yeah because it's like because it's a that's their own subsect right of like the gambling community and shit and like you know it's part of the sports community but it's like yeah um all right
1: this weekend though what are you looking forward to
0: well this weekend i'm looking forward to more of the baseball playoffs we start we talked about the astros I hope the Rays win I don't know it's like I like that the Astros like I said I I like that they'll it's just gonna make a bunch of people mad but I don't particularly like that team and that Rays team is so likable and I like Joel was saying he he like he would love to see Astros and Dodgers and Astros sweep them and and like there is part of me that it's kind of like you yeah, had that and also I don't really care because none of these are my teams but just as someone who is like a rooter for the underdog I I'd, I'd like to see atlanta versus tampa bay because those are probably two teams even though they had some of the best records and were great those are two teams that people were kind of like they they weren't picking you know they're not the hot sexy pick they're not the dodgers they for them. but uh looking forward to that i'm also looking forward to two movies that are coming out Um certainly not going to be seeing them i'm personally not going to be seeing them at theaters i don't know you know i know if theaters are opening and if you're comfortable with that then you know go right ahead but me, I'm, and George is making a face like he agrees. With me, like he agrees with me. So, yeah, that's. But, but, but there are still things that are coming out that I'm excited about. And you know, we, my unbelievable fiance Hillary, who I love very much, she had she for my birthday la, last year set up like our own in home movie theater. You know, so we we have fun. You can have fun with it, and we're we're trying to have fun with it. But there's a couple movies that are coming out that I I think are going to be like the best reprieve. One of them is is Borat too. Um, I'm excited to watch Borat too. It's coming out like next week and it's definitely going to be like stupid and there's definitely going to be moments where I'm sure going to be like squirming in my seat. But like, you know, even the I mean, so the title is Borat Subsequent Movie Film (laughs) and the subtitle is (laughs) Delivery of Prodigious Bribe to American Regime for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. (laughs) And I just like that it's titled Borat's subsequent movie film. Um, That to me is hysterical. Uh, So I'm I'm looking forward to that. And like you know, his the uh, first of all the tagline on the poster is "Wear mask, save life." And also like trailer is talking about like saving us from 2020, (laughs) which of course we know that's ridiculous. It's the reality we live in. But I'm really looking forward to wasting two hours of my time by watching that movie the other one i'm gonna just very quickly mention it's not coming out till december and it might be coming out in theaters which like again i am certainly not going to see but hopefully it's going to be coming to streaming as well which is coming to america too. which two sequels that i generally am not like a sequels person um in general just because i want to see something new i want to see a new idea we don't need to retread we don't need to do this shit it's mostly for money when when, when companies do this but anyway but coming to america is a movie that George and I both hold in very high esteem, like just throughout childhood, and I think still both. I mean, I think both of us have watched it fairly recently. I feel like for for George, probably a, a movie you watch every every few months, right? Like, or you watch it, it.
1: It's in the queue for sure. Like, if if it's not one of these three movies that's behind me, it's definitely one of those four movies. There, it's in the queue. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I've seen it a lot.
0: Yeah, um, myself as well. I mean, I grew up on it. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. it's it was really. Uh, it's really a, a, a mark marker in my, but, but, you know, I'm, I think the new one's going to be silly and stupid and I'm not expecting it to be that great, but just to see those characters. Probably not. I, no, it's directed by Craig Brewer, which I feel like could go either way.
1: Well, I have a, I have a 36 by 24 poster of hustle and flow in my apartment. so
0: I have not seen that movie in a really long time and I would be kind of interested to see it now to see how it holds up. I really liked that movie when it came out.
1: I did too. I think it's the, um, there are some elements of it. And I was talking to one of my friends, Arion, who's a bartender at uh, shout out to Arion and Margaret uh, Harry. And we were talking about that movie and I was telling him how much I liked it. And he was like, you don't think some of the imagery is a little like much as like, you know, I, I, I try to take that part out of it. The, uh, the, the pimp and the the prostitute thing. I try to, I, I like the whole do it yourself part of it and like how they make the record. And he's, like, stapling the uh, – that's the only part of the movie that I – first off, I love this movie, but the part of the movie that I thoroughly enjoy is them recording the record and three people who who would know nothing about the recording in the tree. And they've got this one guy who's, like, recorded, like, some churches or, like, yeah. some church singing. And I love them, like, stapling up the uh, – I forget what those things are called. in the, in the room – The
0: soundproofing – Yeah, yeah. And I was, like, that part – are- yeah
1: for some reason like if you any genre of movies show like how it's how the fucking thing is made i'm in it i'm in it i'm yeah. into it
0: yeah me so. too the process stuff and and uh, stuff, i'm into it yeah me too and uh yeah speaking yeah we'll talk i'm gonna i th- i'm gonna post something fun for Bar Talk next week but uh okay cool uh, that's kind of along those lines of, of process stuff but uh um yeah totally and uh the performances are great uh terrence howard is awesome and anthony anderson and uh i think taryn manning
1: uh, she's good in it too i I,
0: uh i actually used to serve her she was like a semi-regular of at a place that i used to work at like seven eight years ago she i think definitely was like on some stuff i i don't know but but what i'll say is she was phenomenal she was a great She was awesome. She was super awesome to serve. She would always come in at weird, like late, like fucking three o'clock in the morning with like a couple of friends and like to have a meal, you know what I mean? Which at the place I was at was totally cool. And we were doing that, but like, she wasn't like some drunk asshole. She was coming in. They were awesome. I loved all of them. And they were the type of people that, you know, I was aware who she was, but I, you know, it is what it is, but I, I was able because of their vibe, like I had a fun vibe with them. I joked around, which is not something I do all the time with uh,
1: sure, yeah, yeah. people
0: I recognize, you know, because I don't want to. My the last thing I want to do is make them not feel uncomfortable or like sweat. We're New them Yorkers,
1: in, baby, we don't get a yeah, shit. Yeah, we don't.
0: No, and it's <laughs> like they people. You, but it's like you know, like we're working a bar. It's like, yo, it's about the interaction. Right, right. And, and it's like we might we we do have preconceived notions and judgments because we kind of have to have as bartenders. Like you have to assess, comfort, like everybody's safety you know what i mean and that's that's something that most good bartenders take seriously um but you know like yeah like you have you it's about the interaction and i had i i had great interactions with her i don't know why i got off of that but anyway yeah craig brewer but but uh coming to america too i'm excited about it. i i, I mean you know you i could give a
1: sniff one of my is in it so
0: oh yeah who's in it
1: uh jermaine fowler
0: that name sounded really
1: key, familiar like, to me. Like, illegitimate son, whatever. That's the story, the story kind of right. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, and I haven't seen that didn't Who knows we're even still friends. One uh, <laughs> well, this weekend is uh, I've set the record button, like, on Tuesday. Actually, I was going to be in a different medium. I have been uh, – I am rounding out the book, finishing the book, um, Remain in Love. Uh, I watched Stop Making Sense twice this week, actually. Uh, One stone and the other time sober, I guess. It's still pretty great. The uh, Spike Lee, David Byrne concert film airs on Saturday. It's Saturday night, yeah.
0: Very cool. Uh, Hillary's parents, who George also knows, Mm -hmm. uh, Ronnie and Eric, we got them tickets to see it at the film festival, actually. They went, like, the night after we went to see the Steve McQueen film, and they said... What we said about the experience, which was that they had a great time and it was awesome, and they really liked the movie a lot. Yeah, so I, I'm also looking forward to that. It's yeah, I
1: can't wait. The uh, I saw it in January, so oh, you did? I did. Yeah. I oh, saw you it. saw the I, play? I saw the show. Yeah, I saw the Broadway show in January. Uh, Ninety dollars.
0: But is, even that's not that much for Broadway. Just like we were, we were up there. But like, yeah, <laughs> well, of course you were. But that's yeah, because it's. Let's hope that when it comes back, it can be more accessible for. Fucking real people.
1: I think it's gonna be cool. I mean, like I saw the trailer for it and I was like, man, it's gonna be badass. And uh like I said, I've already watched Stop Making Sense twice. Uh the performance they play Born in the Punches, which is my favorite talking head song. I'm like a talking head super fan, which is ridiculous. Yeah, um, shout
0: out to Ronnie and Eric. They loved it. And they said that Spike Lee did a really good job. You know, he I don't know if you've ever seen some of his other like documentary concert type movies. Uh, he did the one about Kobe, right? Right. Where it's like just filming a basketball game, and he's done a couple others. I'm forgetting oh, off the top of my head. Oh, did that. That shit was hot. Um, um, I'm excited for it too. It looks really yeah, cool. Going to be sick. Even though we've we've you've enlightened us on some some character traits of David Byrne that aren't uh, <laughs> as flattering as maybe we thought.
1: But one of the things I've gathered from the book, I think being in a successful band carries a bit of douchiness anyway, and it seems like all of them were kind of like. Also, all the bands that he even bitches, like, they, he seems to like them, but a couple of people, I'm just like, oh, that person sucks.
0: Because of our society and, like, the way that we prop up people. Yeah, I
1: mean, like, uh, I was like, I like the Ramones, and, like, he was talking about Joe Ramone, and Joe Ramone sounds he's, like he's batshit crazy, so.
0: Yeah, it's like I we mean, prop like, all these people up, and, yeah. like, we say that, like, when when they do something, especially when it's white men, and we say that they, like, do something bad, and, like, everyone's like, oh, cancel them, and it's like, well, those people don't actually get canceled because they continue to be able to do what they're doing
1: yeah no it's like uh he's they they just they just seem but they are also young so i probably would react in a different way too if i was like 29 and rich
0: totally or and a it's really,
1: successful band or in a band
0: totally it's, I didn't it's have to yeah, very so. easy to sit in a seat of hindsight and and yeah, comment yeah. on it. totally but uh yeah all right well uh yeah american utopia that looks cool
1: yeah man um, can't wait to watch it it's saturday night
0: HBO Max, or whatever the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, gonna choke to death in streaming services. I know, right? Yeah, it's, well, you know, I my feeling is that eventually every, I mean, you're the only person I know under, under, 60 that has cable <laughs> um and eventually i think that like all networks eventually they'll have their own app and it'll be all streaming and you'll have to pay individually for the fucking network. yeah no
1: i mean it's it's i wish i had this sort of mental acumen to figure out how to sort of daisy chain all the channels that i watch want to watch but i also just love flipping the channels that's just kind of like my thing i like ooh, like because i wouldn't want to solve like the channels was like oh shit
0: Bad Boys 2 is about to start. <laughs> Mike Lowry. Yeah, Mike Lowry. Um, I will say... I will say just to say that I will say that I do kind of, I miss, I do miss that a little bit of like clicking the channels and like see, seeing what's on. um, Because like the looking through Netflix and Hulu and shit to like pick something to watch doesn't have any of that fucking satisfaction whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it's like my worst, I hate, it's like my, the worst part of my day.
1: (laughs) I mean, like, I mean, you guys were like Apple TV people or it's like, how does this, I don't even know.
0: what. Yeah. We use Apple TV. It's whatever. It's, it's, It's the same. It's, yeah, it's like well, how do you want your poison?
1: And it's got like it's got like is that the little remote thing?
0: Yeah, it's got the little yeah. remote and it's yeah. got its own apps and I I yeah. like it because you all the apps are in one place.
1: <laughs> I, 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 that thing would be lost in like two seconds.
0: Yeah, well I, I like
1: I, like this shit. The shit that you like you gotta use the bath when you use the bath <laughs> at a gas station. They give you fucking like uh here's the key for the bathroom. Just, just like make sure you'll never lose this thing or you won't take it with you.
0: Yeah. I think I would still do that with that. Like, I'm always like, where is the remote? And, <laughs> and, uh, and, but the thing is, is that like, I haven't lost it. I just need to stand up because it's almost always, it's in my lap. <laughs> it's like just in there. And I'm just like, where, where is the remote? Cause I'm a person who puts something in like a specific place eight out of 10 times. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, it's almost always there, but like the one time that it's not there, like, I don't know where it is, you know? because i just put it yeah it's in my lap um yeah find the remote um all right well uh yeah anything i just i want to say quickly to wrap up this week's show show 11 know your roles to say again thank you very much to joel joel wachowski Uh, i think his moniker is the professional gambler i believe hoish hammer (laughs) <laughs> you can uh look him up on on all sorts of platforms again his his uh he plugged his own socials and, and all that stuff and his network is called the props network and they do podcasts and you know if you were interested in that gambling stuff and, and which i i don't know that much about but i find really fucking interesting and fascinating yeah i would i would recommend listening to joe also i'm sure you could tell from his time on the show but he's hysterical
1: yeah okay <laughs>
0: anything else george sign uh, off
1: man uh wear your mask over your fucking nose and be well everybody
0: stay safe and healthy and we're out y'all later you later. you